We've been gathering outside for almost a year, and I love it because I like the sounds of making. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, I love it that we have uh, worship services out here, and especially today. Years ago, if you had told me that I would be standing before a group of people talking about the resurrection, I can promise you that neither I nor any of the people who knew me would have thought that was a possibility. And I can relate very much to these two disciples who were walking on the road that uh, we're going to look at for just a few moments. I won't read the passage again because we, we read it earlier in the service and we reprinted it there in the worship folder, but Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 15. Uh, just recount what had happened that, that first Easter morning. Uh, Luke begins this chapter by telling that Christ had been crucified, his body had been taken down from the cross, had been placed in a tomb, and now it is, uh, it is Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And the women bring spices to the tomb to anoint the body, and they find that the stone's been rolled away, and they are very perplexed. And two angels, what ends up being two angels, say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And they immediately go back to Jerusalem. The, the crucifixion was outside of Jerusalem. They go back and they report to the, the 11 disciples uh, what had happened, but the disciples don't believe them. If you, if you wonder who didn't believe in the resurrection, at least at the beginning, it was the disciples. So several hours later, Luke shows us two of the disciples are now walking from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. It's about seven miles. It would be about the distance from here past Wesleyan College. So they are walking, and as they're walking, they're discussing the events of, of what had happened. And another traveler begins to walk with them. And as they talk, they, they realize that this traveler doesn't seem to know anything of what's been going on with the crucifixion of Jesus. And they're amazed at that. So they tell him the whole sad story. Still unrecognized, uh, Jesus tells them, well, there's a cause to your trouble, and that is that you are foolish and slow of heart in your understanding of the scriptures. And, and he says that because if you had realized that, you would have recognized it, that the Christ had to suffer before entering into glory. And then he gives them a lesson from the Old Testament. By now, they are approaching their destination, uh, the town of Emmaus. And the traveler appears to be going to continue on the road, but they say, no, it's getting dark. Come, it's late, late in the day, so come, come with us and, and eat with us. So he accepts their invitation. They sit down to a meal together. And as he breaks the bread and as he prays and gives thanks to God for the food, they recognize that it is Jesus. And just as fast as they recognize him, he vanishes. And they say to each other, were not our hearts burning, burning on the road while he was explaining and speaking to us there? And they get up and they, this time they don't walk, they, they speedily, they would have speed walked, sped walked back to Jerusalem and they find the 11, the other disciples still there and they tell them what had happened. And while they are talking to them, Jesus appears in, the, in their midst. And they think it's a ghost, and they are frightened, Luke tells us. And Jesus says, here, see my hands and see my feet. Uh, touch me and, and see me. Here's proof 
that it's truly me. And then he gives them a whole Bible lesson about how the Messiah who was prophesied had to come and he had to suffer and he had to die and he tells them that repentance should be preached to all the nations. And then he closes the chapter days later that he sends them out as witnesses and they return to Jerusalem with great joy. I just want to look at three brief lessons from this passage. And the first is the importance of the resurrection to the Christian faith. The the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead is foundational to Christianity. It's as important to the Christian faith as these walls are to hold the roof up on, on this building. It's true, and many have said it before, that the Christian faith either stands or falls on whether the resurrection truly happened. And honest skeptics, uh, atheists, and others, critics of the Bible, through the years have known this. Now, I was watching the other night on TBS. They, they ran a series about Abraham Lincoln. You may have seen that. Uh, it, it, was, it was good. And I was curious as to how they were going to, whether they were going to talk about this, which they did not. But, but after Lincoln was, was killed, at 22 years after he was buried, his body was exhumed uh, from the grave, and it was preceded by an attempt. They, there was a, a rumor that was true that the body was going to be stolen. So they exhumed it from the grave. Uh, it, this time, before they put it back, they sealed it in lead. And what many people don't realize is that that happened again about 14 years later in 1901. In fact, during the 35 years following the death of Abraham Lincoln, his coffin would be exhumed and opened five times to confirm that it was truly him. Because not that people thought he wasn't dead, but people would, the rumor would start, that's not really Lincoln's remains in the, in the coffin, and they would have to confirm it. If the enemies of Jesus had wanted to stop the spread of Christianity, if they had wanted to stop his followers from talking about a resurrected Jesus, all they had to do was produce the body. That would have brought everything to a screeching halt, and yet the body was not there. Perhaps this morning you may be a seeker. You may be mulling over ultimate questions. You're not really sure why, but you're thinking about substantive issues related to God and about your purpose and about why you're here and where you're going. Perhaps you think Christianity is just one of many valid religions. I'll compare it with others. Well, no other religions, none, claim an empty tomb for their leader. Second observation from this, there is a huge difference between knowing and believing. These disciples knew a lot, but they didn't believe a lot. I saw a classified ad that I was told appeared in the New York Times years ago, and it said, for sale, complete set of world book encyclopedias. Like new, $1,000 or best offer, no longer needed, recently married, wife knows everything. You may know a whole lot about Jesus and the resurrection and forgiveness and sins and all these Easter songs and still not believe. That was the case with me. That's why I said I I would have been shocked to think I'd be standing up here talking. These two men on the road had lots of information. Uh, They may have been discussing how Jesus had come into Jerusalem on on a donkey. They may have been talking about his trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. They may have been 
talking about how the crowd called for his death. They may have actually been eyewitnesses there when he was crucified. They would have seen criminals crucified on either side of him. They would have witnessed the Roman guards gambling for his garments. They would have heard people mock him and say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And uh, perhaps they were even quoting some of those things. But they couldn't put it together. They didn't know how all this fit together. Uh, was he failure? Was it success? Uh, why did he have to die? They had bits and pieces of the truth that they knew, but they, they couldn't see the big picture, and you, you wouldn't say they really believed it. Now, even though they knew about Jesus and a great deal about him, they had not yet chosen to believe. What's the difference between knowing and believing? Well, believing is choosing to put your trust in that which you know. It's acting upon that which you know. They had read what the prophets had spoken about a Messiah who had been promised who would come, who would be our Redeemer, the Lamb of God. But Jesus said, you've been slow of heart to believe all that has been spoken. So they, they knew about the prophecies about the Messiah, uh, and, but they were blind to the total message of it. Some of you here, perhaps, that are Christians, learn, knew you learned about Jesus and almost immediately believed in him. Uh, and, and that's great. That was not me at all. For years, I knew. I, I was taught by a Christian mother. I was taught by uh, people in our, the church where I was forced to go as a child and, and as a youngster. And they didn't think I was learning anything, but I was listening, and I, I heard things. So I had information, but I was like these disciples. I, I didn't know what it all meant, and, and I did not believe. Uh, but you can know about something and not believe it, but you can't believe something and not know anything about it. And I think we get confused between knowing and believing. We, you can know about something and not believe it, but you can't believe something without knowing about it. So how does a person move from simply knowing to believing? Well, it tells us here what Jesus did with them. Uh, in verse 27, it said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and he, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. He, he probably started with Genesis chapter 3, the promise of the Redeemer, the first promise, and how that promise shows up through the scriptures. He may have gone to Genesis chapter 22, which tells about Abraham placing his own son on an altar or on to the Passover when God's people, the Jews, were delivered from Egypt and the sacrifices and the, the tent of meeting in the, the wilderness, the Day of Atonement, the the bronze serpent, the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53, the prophecies of the crucifixion from Psalm 22. Maybe he went through all of that. But verse 31 is the main verse. He opened their eyes. He opened their eyes to understand. He opened their eyes through the teaching of the word. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us understanding. We may know something, but he has to open our eyes. And that's why the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. This explains why Jesus opened the word to these two men as they were walking. The, the real problem wasn't in their heads, it was in their hearts. They needed faith. Today, isn't it just a beautiful day? I mean, it really is. Uh, for those of us that have been out here, we're usually either freezing or sweating. And uh, so I, I, I see lots of sunglasses. 
Well, that's not too bad, except for this group right over here. I guess the sun's in their eyes. Uh, I typically don't like spring weather uh, here in the south because of the storms and tornadoes. Since I was a child, it seems like in March and April, oh, oh no. Uh, uh, last year, in 2020, there were more than 1,000, roughly 1,050 tornadoes, confirmed tornadoes, in the United States. I mean, that's a lot. And more tornadoes, if you look at uh, Tornado Alley and then the Dixie Alley for the tornadoes, more tornadoes hit the Midwest than they do in the South, the Southeast. But all the statistics are that more people die in the South from tornadoes than people in the Midwest, which seems odd, doesn't it? More tornadoes in the Midwest than the South, but more deaths in the South than in the Midwest. Well, the experts say that the reason for that is Southerners are fatalistic. And we kind of like, well, if your number's up, your number's up. I mean, there's no point going down the basement. I'm going to sit up here and watch the Weather Channel. I want to see if this thing's going to hit me, I want to know when it's coming. In fact, I mentioned that many years ago in a sermon. And it was spring, and there was a tornado watch that afternoon on that Sunday. And I was standing out here speaking to people as they were leaving, and a couple came out, and they, I, they said, oh, we're headed to St. Simon's. And right after hearing that, I said, aren't you concerned about the weather? And they went, oh, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> I said, you're doing exactly what they said. We're fatalistic about it. But what's the point? We don't act on what we know. There seems to be a disconnect between our knowledge and what we really believe that affects our actions. Third observation, and that's the basis of our hope. I don't think that these verses are printed there, but at the end of the chapter, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Luke begins that chapter talking about the resurrection, and he ends it some 40 days later on what Christians refer to as the ascension, when Jesus ascended into heaven. And so the ascension was proof to them that he has conquered his enemies and he's still at work. So today, the Bible says Jesus is the, our high priest. He's our advocate. Uh, he is our high priest, and he forgives when he sins, and he's our advocate that he pleads our case before God. I was reading an application to become a citizen of the United States. We, we know a lot about immigration. We hear a lot. But for anybody here that's, and I, I know there's some that have immigrate to the U.S. and you became a U.S. citizen, for those of us that don't know what's involved, it is a very, very uh, lengthy process, and it's not easy. For example, these are some of the questions on the application. First, are you 18 years of age? Have you been a permanent resident for five years or more? Can you read and write and speak basic English? Can you pass the civics test? Oh, civics test. So I looked at the civics test. Here are some of the questions. How many stripes are there on the U.S. flag? Who is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court today? In what year was the Constitution written? Which of these is guaranteed by the First Amendment? Freedom of the press, right to bear arms, right to happiness, or right to trial by a jury? How many Supreme Court justices are there? 
What are the first 10 amendments of the Constitution called? When was the Declaration of Independence adopted? What do the stripes of the U.S. flag mean? What is the introduction to the Constitution called? How many changes or amendments are there to the Constitution? Who selects Supreme Court justices? How many representatives are there in Congress? Why did the pilgrims come to America? Who has the power to declare war? Is it the Congress, the President, or the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court? Not too simple, is it? Now, I know you answered all of those in your mind, just like that. But what if the test, imagine if the test added, have you had a living encounter with George Washington? What if it said you need to have a living, growing relationship with George Washington to be an American? Well, to be a Christian is not just knowing facts, though those are important, that God made us, we're made in his image, he wants to have life with us, but we all violate his law, we commit crimes against him, and God must punish those, but he promised to send a redeemer that was Jesus, and he kept God's law in every respect, and he died in our place, and he was crucified and raised from the dead, showing his victory over death and over the grave, and then he was raised from the grave, and he told his followers to go into the world and tell people how they can know God, and that he's gone ahead of us to prayer prepare a place for us and that through Christ we are given new lives if anyone is in Christ he's a new creature all things passed away behold all things become new so to be a Christian is not just a set of facts it's actually having a knowing growing living relationship with Jesus Christ and the only thing that makes that possible is the resurrection of Christ from the dead the end of the passage says they return to Jerusalem with joy there's no more sorrow now. There's no more perplexity. There's no more bewilderment. There's no more fear and hiding. And they stayed in the temple that says praising God. Uh, the temple was the same, but they were changed. Their worship changed because they changed. My father, the main skeptic I knew and loved was my own dad. He died many years ago. And about two years before he died at age 70, he, uh, he himself came to know Christ. It was a miraculous story that I'm not going to tell you now, but it's as a dramatic a conversion as anything I've ever heard of or seen. And I got to watch it. And uh, he told me after, uh, after he had come to faith in Christ, we had, he had taken me and my sister with my mom, and we had always gone to church on Easter. Uh, that was the one time a year he would go on Easter Sunday. And I went over to visit them in Alabama, uh, and uh, he, he was not well at that time, but he'd been a Christian for a few months. And he said, hey, let me tell you what we did last Sunday. He said, we went to church. And I, I didn't think any big thing about it, because he always did that on Easter Sunday. This was East, right after Easter. And he said, it was my first Easter as a Christian. Isn't that something, a man that's about 69 years old, to say that? All those years, he'd come to know Christ, had a relationship with him. He said, it was my first time to attend church on Easter as a Christian. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that Christ is living and active and at work, and that you are at work in our lives. We ask that our trust would be in him and in him only, and we pray in his name. Amen.